Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If you're listening to this for the first time, thank you for trying something new. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you for supporting us over these 200 and some odd episodes. Ben, we're like at 270 or something? Yeah, something like that. Something crazy. Almost 300, which would be a good six solid years. That's wild. Okay, so um, generally when we go through the, the episode, we start off by telling people where they can find Ben's latest work. So Ben, tell them all about the prestigious publications you write for. <laughs> well, you can find my work... Uh, in the pages of Car and Driver, you can find it at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. And we're going to be talking about some uh, SUVs today, some pretty flashy SUVs today, which I think um, are full of kind of uh, wild new ideas. Are you well, ready Especially the one that you drove, Sammy, because yeah. it, is, it is a new vehicle that we, I think people have been waiting for for quite a while because the old one had been around for quite a while. I don't know about people have been waiting for. I think there's a certain um, subset of the population that lives <laughs> and dies by the release cycle of this brand. And that's the Land Rover Range Rover, or what we just know as the Range Rover, um, which has become kind of like a convoluted thing all, of, all like lately because Range Rover now has a bunch of different uh, models. They have the Velar, the Sport and the Evoque, as well as the Range Rover, right? Yeah, so they kind of split it into families, where there's Land Rover and there's Range Rover, and I don't know how many people really pick up on that, but it is important to them. So how do you call this product? Land Rover Range Rover. Land Rover Range Rover. Yeah, and we're just, that's that's cool, that's fine. And the other ones are Land Rover Range Rover something. I think so, yeah, Land Rover Range Rover Velar. It's so, so dumb, okay. I like to call it the Range Rover. Um, and the, the Range Rover is very important, um, so much so that I think it spurred, cust- it, it spurred other automakers to react to it. And allow me to go on a tangent here, but when um, the SUV kind of boom was really in full swing, there were some high-end vehicles like Rolls-Royce, uh, high-end automakers like Rolls-Royce and Bentley who didn't have an SUV, and they found that a lot of their customers were switching into Range Rovers. Um, and apparently that's what spurred them to make things like the Cullinan and the Bentayga. Would you believe that? I do believe that because the, for a long time, the Range Rover was the default luxury SUV. You, yes. you look at vehicles like the Cayenne uh, as, as something mm-hmm. that's similar in price in a lot of ways. There's but, also the G-Class and the Escalade. But the G-Class and the Escalade, the, the Escalade is, I think, a different type of luxury vehicle. It's certainly not global. Yeah, it's G- very North American. The G-Class was also a vehicle that had, uh, I think, kind of more modest roots. But the Range Rover, from the get-go, was designed to be luxurious for its era and whatever that era was. And I think it had a, a prestige and a heritage that maybe you don't really see with the G-Class. But w- one thing that's always stuck out to me about the Range Rover is, and this ties into what you were saying about Rolls-Royce and Bentley, uh, I remember going to the launch of the Range Rover Sport I want to say in 2012 when they when they did the redesign or right around there, and it it was the first three row version of a vehicle to come from Range Rover. And I asked them, I'm like, hey, why didn't you put the third row in the larger Range Rover? Why is it in the Range Rover Sport? And they said, well, demographically, the people who own a a Range Rover, it's it's usually one of at least five to fifteen other vehicles that they already have, <laughs> five so they to don't. 15. 
Yeah, so they don't technically need a third row because if they, they need, don't even need a car, they're like if they need extra people to come with them, they just either use another vehicle or they already have a three row something else. But if or you they own, let the other people drive another car themselves yeah. altogether. <laughs> but if the Range Rover Sport owner, it's usually their only car. Yes. So when you say Range Rover and you use uh, Rolls Royce and Bentley in the same sentence. That is that financial slice of the pie is people yeah. who have a fleet of vehicles. And for a long time, that default was Range Rover. Okay. Let's talk about that legacy first before we talk about the other thing that you kind of brought up here about uh, rows of seating. The design of the Range Rover has been a little bit static over the past couple of generations in yes. terms of that front-end design. You can always identify what this is. It's in, in this new generation model, 2022, 2023, they look the same from the front end. There are very subtle changes to the rear. They keep talking about this hidden taillight. Essentially, it looks like the taillight is a piece of black plastic on the back of the vehicle that lights up red when you hit the brakes. And they're pretty proud about this. I'm not sure it makes as much of an impact as they say it does. <laughs> I don't think they've ever had a taillight that goes across the tailgate, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and then they've also talked about this shoulder line, this kind of um, where the where the window frame essentially is in the body is like this beautiful curve. There's no really there's no real window frame, and they they are making a pretty big deal about uh, how fancy that is. However, I'm going to point out one interesting thing about the design. You might have noticed when you look at the vehicle that on the roof there are two antenna fins, little shark fins. Yes, I do the, see it. Two of them side by side. This is a really weird thing to see. Um, it turns out that one of them, when they had one of them, and they stuck all of the antenna and doodads and gizmos and essentially the 5G technology that's used for the telematic system. Which is so crucial that, to the driving experience. When I think driving, I'm like, be, if there's yeah. no 5G, forget it. Essentially, when they had all of that in, in one fin, it overheated and uh, those, fun- those, those, te- those bits of technology did not work. So they had to make two. That was their answer. Couldn't they make and... just like one big one that wouldn't overheat? <laughs> like all the way down the middle of the vehicle? Like a they Mohawk. put it somewhere else. I believe other automakers have figured this out by putting them in spoilers or something like that. I'm going to say um, when it comes to Range Rover and Land Rover, electronics, not always a forte. So they mm-hmm. maybe didn't want to kind of poke that dragon. Well, there's a lot of electronics in this vehicle, Okay. Um, so that's the first thing I wanted to point out in terms of design. Second thing, I drove both a standard wheelbase and a long wheelbase version of the vehicle. And there is going to be a three-row version of it. Okay. And Crazy, is it, is it right? going to be available in both wheelbases? Or are they going no, to be I, smart just, and make it long wheelbase only? They are going to be smart and make long wheelbase only. Okay. We have to talk about wheelbases for a second because in the past week, uh, Jeep made a longer version of their already long vehicle? Yeah, so there's a Grand Wagoneer L now, which is odd because now there's a Wagoneer, a Grand Wagoneer, and then a Grand Wagoneer L. And I was there, always But there thinking, isn't no Wagoneer L, which would just be a Grand Wagoneer Oh, give right? them time. <laughs> give them time. Okay. And then there'll be a Grand Wagoneer LL, and then a Grand Wagoneer LL being Eddie Bauer. Yeah. That's where we're going. But um, for, because there's something else we haven't really mentioned. The reason this new Grand Wagoneer came out is because the New York Auto Show was this week. And yeah. we haven't talked about the New York Auto Show because auto shows are increasingly irrelevant 
Um, there's not really much news that comes out of them that's all that exciting. We had this Grand Wagoneer. There was also a really cool Genesis concept. I think it was called like the Speedium or something like that or Performium. It was, it's named after a racetrack in Seoul. It's this huge coupe. It was really cool looking. Uh, yeah. But other than that, not much, not much stuff is there at the auto show. So we're not really right. going to focus on it too much. Sorry, I just wanted to point out this wheelbase thing. I thought that was always lots of fun. Um, just to let you know, these Range Rovers start at around $95,000 US, um, and they can get very pricey. We also drove these long wheelbase four-seater versions, essentially limos, or the replacement for somebody's Cullinan or Bantega. And they were super customized. They had this wicked center console in the back with, like, motorized... Actually, all of them have a motorized... Um, like, even the five-seaters have a motorized cup holder. Um, which I don't think is really imp- like necessary. It's the most I when I when if I don't get a motorized cup holder, I walk away from the deal. I mean, it's like, me. how do you describe that to somebody? Like, I'm sitting there. I was sitting there, and I was like, "Where is literally where is the cup holder?" I was holding a I was holding a coffee cup, and I couldn't figure it out until I noticed that there's a little screen to my to my left, and there's a picture of some coffee cups, and I press that, and boom, like this very slow whirring <laughs> compartment opens up. And there's some cup holders. You know how I how I'm always saying basic functionality should be entirely screen based. Yes, you are you are repeating that almost um, hourly. I think everything right? it, cigarette lighter push a button on the screen and then that section of the screen gets really hot and then you light your cigarette on it. <laughs> yes. So um, or you just you could you just get out go outside and and you you order the one antenna version of the Land Rover. And you activate your 5G, and then you light your cigarette, <laughs> yeah. or cigar, I guess, or pipe, I don't know, it's a Land Rover, on the 5G antenna. Um, but these are the these are the gimmicks that um, these kind of shoppers kind of go for. Um, I want to, I, 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 I'm not done with the, the antenna yet. Do you think... With the, bur- with the burning thing? Do you, do you think that what happened was when they were testing the Range Rover with the single antenna, do you think they were, they parked for lunch and they were sitting outside on a patio and all of a sudden this bird fell out of the sky and the bird had this like antenna shaped burn mark on yes. its belly and they're like, whoa, like the bird flew over the car and it was just so hot. It just evaporated. It incinerated this bird. And so they're like, what happened? And they did all this bird testing and they're like, don't tell pet PETA, but we've, yeah. we we need to make this, this Range Rover bird safe. Yes. <laughs> Do you think I, that's what I happened? Think, I think possibly you there know, like, is when the, definitely it, like, a chance. Like a I would building, say at least a 50-50 chance that something related to this might have happened. I don't th- know. That a bird was was felled in the line of duty. Like when you have a building that has reflective windows and the birds yeah. fly into it. Except in this case, it's more like, what is it, like solar panels? They can sometimes... I, I read about a sculpture. So, oh, my goodness. I read about now a sculpture. Now you're on the poor bird. We have a very significant bird listening population. Well, that's why I think it's of, important to talk about it. But it, it, I read about a sculpture one time. It was it was like a, a polished steel sculpture. And it would focus the sun and it was killing birds. Like they had no idea what was happening. Just birds were dying near it. And they finally figured it out. So it's not and I don't outside. think human-bird relationships have ever recovered. No, that. I mean, if birds were real, we'd probably take them more seriously. <laughs> not this again. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think it's the Range Rover, I mean, bird, it's obviously bird safe at this okay. point. Let's talk a little bit more about this, about the Range Rover. I, I told you, uh, exterior design, interior cabin, it's beautiful, man. It is a wickedly lavish cabin. It is, it, the materials are perfect, the, 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 the trim is great. There is a 
a touchscreen in the center of the of the console. It doesn't do it doesn't you don't need to use it for everything, but for most things. Um, there's heated seats. There's you know motorized and adjustable headrests. Um, there are you know leg uh, what do you even call them? Leg supports, thigh supports. Um, it, it's super comfortable in this car. In this car. Now the yeah. Well, no, I, I was going to ask you about drivetrains, but go, go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about the drivetrains. This is available um, right now. It's available, I think, in two drivetrains. One is a uh, mild hybrid straight six, um, basically the same Ingenium straight six that we've known for a little while. It makes uh, 395 horsepower and 406 pound-feet of torque. It's okay. It's good. It gets the job done. I found it have a little bit of hesitation at low speeds. I think it was trying to decide whether or not it should turn off the the engine, and then when I didn't, it like stumbled a little bit, and that seemed to be a little consistent. Um, and then the other motor that they have is you're gonna love this a 4.4 liter twin turbocharged V8 that makes 523 horsepower. Tell me, 4.4 liter twin turbo V8. Does that sound familiar to you? It does sound familiar, but it sounds like it's coming from a different side of the ocean than I would expect it to come from. Yes, this is a BMW engine. Uh, that doesn't really surprise me because if you think about... No, really? Don't you think BMW and, and, and Range Rover are kind of competitors? No, because, I mean, BMW used to own Range Rover, remember? <laughs> so they're just giving scraps to their former... This is not the first time we've seen a BMW V8 inside a Range Rover. But I think what I'm saying is Range Rover's own V8 engine was very old. Um, but it was good, that 5-liter supercharged engine. Sure, it was, excuse me, it was perfectly fine, but it Except was... Except for at one thing. It was horrendous on fuel. Yeah. So, when I look at it, when I look at a company like, like Ran Ro- Land Rover, Range Rover, Jaguar, which is included in that, um, Jaguar makes no money, it is in huge trouble. Land Rover does make money, but I think that it doesn't make sense for that company to invest in building a new V8 engine in a world where V8 engines are increasingly disappearing from the market. And everyone's going towards electrification, which kind of brings me to my new point. My next point, sorry. Your which is, new point. <laughs> yeah, my new point. They're all new points. Don't worry. Not recycling. But uh, I had thought that Land Rover and Range Rover together were going to be building almost exclusively electric vehicles in the very okay. near future. So I'm That's almost, happening, I think. Next year, we're going to get a plug-in version of that inline six motor. Okay. And, and that's, I mean, we're not going to see a company that doing that making a new V8. Yeah. This is just like we mentioned with with um, with Subaru and the STI. They're like we're not investing on something while these mandates and, and d- direction. Yeah, I mean Subaru's logic. Subaru's not even straight up saying we don't have the money. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. But I, at least with Land Rover, they're like we're going to make a lateral move and get a, a good V8 that we we know is decent and and kind of license that. Did they talk about that at all? Not really. I, it seems to be like they're everyone is super cool with it. Nobody thought it was that interesting that uh, they're they're outsourcing their motor to bmw mainly because it's a it's a good engine right when 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 an automaker gets a good product a good item from another automaker that's perfect nobody cares right yeah it's when they make a weird bad decision well that people are like hey what the <laughs> there are some people who care that there's always that subgroup of people who are loyalists and purists and they always care like when s and martin i think started going to the amg engines i think that that's probably... a good motor i think people like Chilled yeah, but I also think 5% of Aston Martin fans literally died when that happened. <laughs> like, especially, like, if you're, like, an older, like, maybe a duke or a, or a lord of something, and you, you were on your grounds Your of your monocle est- popped out, yeah. Yeah, you're on the grounds of your estate, and you read that news, you, like, walked to the window and had a heart attack. 
And maybe they found your body a few weeks later because your mansion is so huge. No one knows where you are at any given time. So you think the, that this Range Rover um, BMW engine, I actually think it's a good thing for many. And probably a lot of Range Rover owners were like, oh, thank goodness I won't be stopping at the gas station that more often. I don't think the casual <laughs> Range Rover owner cares how much gas they put in their 15 cars. Because but I do think some ha- people do. This thing still consumes about 17 or 18 liters per, uh, I mean, sorry, wow. miles per gallon. Wow, that was your, your metric was showing there. <laughs> sorry, buddy. Uh, still about 17 or 18 miles per gallon. Uh, I don't think that's the most fuel efficient. You seemed pretty impressed by that, but I, I mean, know it's you not have bad. a different metric for fuel usage. So, so my Jeep gets like 20 in 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 uh, combined driving, and probably and like, it doesn't have 523 horse. No, it only has 400. So like probably around 23 on the highway. So when I see like a, a vehicle that I'm, I'm willing to bet the Range Rover weighs at least a thousand pounds more. Yeah. And and it has more power, and it's you know whatever. I I would think that that that's not bad. I mean, bad to me in a truck is like twelve. We're looking at about fifty eight hundred pounds to fifty three hundred pounds, depending on the the motor and yeah. size of the vehicle. Yeah, so, so it's a thousand pounds more. It's so, a big it's a big guy. Yeah, I I do think that like so the difference between twelve miles per gallon and eighteen miles per gallon is like thirty percent. Roughly, mm-hmm. so I think mm-hmm. that is a pretty big. In my mind, that's a big difference. Right. I, I'm impressed when it, when a vehicle that size is is around twenty, and I'm super shocked when it's around thirty. Like that that blows my mind when you start seeing hybrid, like the the Kia yeah. the Kia Sorento I had that was was doing like close to thirty. That that's that's really good, you know. And um, yep. for a vehicle like this, for the money you're paying, I don't know if you're worried about how much gas you have to put in your Range Rover. You can't afford a Range Rover. That's kind of how it works. <laughs> Yeah, most likely. Um, the powertrain is very good. I think it's it's excellent. Both of them, uh, as I mentioned, I just found a little bit of hesitation in the in the uh, six cylinder model. The V eight is amazing. It sounds good. It's very responsive. Um, and then dynamically, you know, these vehicles have a bit of this. Um, I think they're supposed to be designed with this kind of like waftiness to them. I don't know how to you know a well, very. It has four wheel uh, steering, right? This model. It does. Yeah. And that was really good. I found it, it it helped make the car feel very um, agile in some, in certain situations and stable in others. But as I mentioned, you know, they, they are not meant to be stiff. They're not meant to be uh, – but they're also not super vague. I think that's the most important part here. Um, you feel the heavy you, – you feel the weight of the vehicle. You feel what it's capable of. And there's some vehicles that I think are so are so isolated or, or the steering is so isolated that when you are about to enter a curve – you don't really realize just how much speed you're carrying into it, and the Range Rover does not have that feeling. It's very, it's very well balanced. I find. Now, did you do any off roading? Of course, we did. We did so much off roading, in fact. And this thing is loaded with with like these off road features that caught me off guard. Um, I want to talk about one that I think everyone already knows about is air suspension. Yes, this has um, two off road settings for air suspension and. Range Rover also made it a point to tell us that it has a secret third off-road setting. I heard that there's more than one secret off-road setting. Basically, the car knows when you're really in trouble. <laughs> uh, apparently, when it can't sense the ground or something like that, if it's like floating, <laughs> essentially, it will extend the, the 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 air suspension just a little bit further to so, to try to reach something. So you're saying when it's floating, like, is that in water? I I think so. Water, I guess. Sand, mud, or, or snow can also apply, but I think water is the ideal, um, or it's not the ideal, but like 
the problem case in this. Well, scenario. I was thinking like floating, like if it if you hit a sweet jump, and it would be like Inspector Gadget, where like <laughs> yeah. it would shoot the wheels down <laughs> to capture yeah. the ground. So I'm seeing that like it, the, there's two settings: there's 10 inches and 11 inches of ride height, and then yep. there's apparently the, the two secret ones go up to 13.1 inches. So that's that's quite a bit. But you can't like manually select that. Oh, but give the me time. Has, give the, the aftermarket car. time. The car has to panic. And I want to know which engineer got in trouble for this feature to be included or or what <laughs> owner got in trouble. If you were the person who sent the email saying, well, my car floated away on me. <laughs> <laughs> One of my Range Rovers is now gone. But uh, also, how fast does it react? Like, if I'm in a situation where my car is floating, I feel like that's a very immediate emergency. Yeah. And I need, I know every every air suspension I've been in, it's always like, and like the front end rises and then the rear end rises. I don't think that's enough time. I think I need like an explosive, you know, like those explosive bolts that blow the doors off the SLS. <laughs> The gullwing yeah, doors, like the, a deep cut. Are you gonna res- are you gonna explain that? Okay, to so the S- Mercedes SLS because you just said explosive bolts off the SLS. So the Very SLS vague reference. it has it has gullwings, right? It, yeah. it had gullwing doors, and in an, in an accident, it's possible that like if you're flipped over, you can't open those doors from the bottom. So they had bolts that would blow them off the hinges so you could get out from the top if you had to. Super safe. Yeah, it's definitely very safe. So I was, I was thinking Range Rover would put something like that in the suspension where they're like, we're going to blow this, like, these bags. It's a single-use emergency setting, but you, you're you not floating anymore. So it isn't um, – I think there's one there's one vehicle that I think has the fastest um, air suspension or whatever it might call. It's Mercedes with their – E-active body control, which you can, like, make the car bounce around. Yes, like a uh, this fool. Is not, this is not, yeah, not like a fool, like a lowrider. It's cool. Uh-huh. Um, this is not as fast as that. It lowers faster than it raises, and it's actually a really loud system from the outside. In fact, when we were, you know, hanging out and watching some people um, um, arrive and park and get out of the car, it makes this very loud air you know the air brake sound or or yeah it makes this massive noise which is really unbecoming for me because you imagine you show up to an event or valet or whatever and you get out of the car and it just goes it's like like, a turbo blow-off valve but for parking (laughs) exactly and i was really worried that i think some people might get turned off by that when they arrive somewhere and shock everybody with this like puff of air but also like think about if you're in a situation where you need the secret off-road mode it, it, it makes the noise it's like a rattlesnake it's like letting people know hey this guy's in trouble he's, yeah he's in trouble <laughs> call, call for help now i'm so it, it's funny because they're like oh yeah we've had this since like lr3 or discovery or something that secret off-road mode so i'm like has nobody really like made a bigger deal about this i think secret off-road modes are really important do you know what my you know what my secret off ideal secret off mode off-road, off-road mode? mode would be yeah tell it me. would be a remote uh a remote firing winch yeah like a yeah. trident that i could like shoot into <laughs> off- gra- like, you have a bat grab a, a bat a battering or like, yeah, yeah whatever so like if i was floating away i could like fire this uh winch at a bridge and then pull yeah. the bridge off the road <laughs> as <laughs> and i fly on to it i want to create so much chaos to get saved. Exactly. Well, or to, you know, at least draw attention to the fact that I don't want to die alone in my giant mansion like that British lord who found out about the AMG engines in the Aston Martin. I want I want it to be like at least page two of USA Today. Yes. Um, the other, other off-road features it has, I mean, it has the, the usual, you know, downhill 
um, what is it called? Descent hill control or something like that. You know, that you just set a button and it holds that speed down the hill. It has the opposite of that, which is... Um, <laughs> Accelerate to your death mode. <laughs> <laughs> it has a cruise control for going up the hill. Um, basically, you set it and it, it literally just goes up this... It's, like, crawl, it's know, crawl control, right? Crawl control. Uphill. Crawl control or something like well, that. Well, I mean, crawl control doesn't know... <laughs> Well, apparently this one does. I guess and it, it uses the parking sensors to know whether or not it's going to be in real trouble. Is there secret crawl control to know if you're being chased? And if you're being chased, it suddenly increases the speed? I don't think so. But we will talk to them about that. I think it's important to discuss just how important that uh, – just how crucial that feature would be. Um, it, Buddy, I can't – I cannot stop uh, raving about this vehicle. I mean these cars are – overdone they're over the top in every single way um they 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 perform really well on the road they perform well off-road they've got a ton of features and technology and doodads they are fairly stylish um uh i don't know if the exterior is all that attractive but you know they have a, a certain gravitas or aura to them that people really fall for but the cabin is very is very good I if think, you're in the market for one of these things, you already probably have one. Like, I don't know what yeah, else. You probably say. have one on order to replace the six you've already had in the past. But I, I will say that when I first started in this business and I first drove a a loaded Range Rover, it was the first time that I understood how a – it was the first six-figure vehicle I drove where I understood the value proposition it was making and it didn't feel like an arbitrary price. I was like, okay, this is a vehicle that drives – it can go anywhere. It's fast. It feels like my living room inside and I can tow a whole bunch of stuff or haul a whole bunch of stuff inside of it. It basically does everything. So I completely, I get it. I get the Range Rover thing. It is a do all vehicle for real. It's not like it does it. Um, like when you go off-roading in a Jeep Wrangler or a, or a, uh, or a Bronco, you kind of like muscle your way through off-road obstacles. The whatever it is, this all this technology and these doodads and gizmos and screens and cameras, the the Range Rover really doesn't feel like it's trying all that hard to do anything. Um, it finesses its way off road. I find um, way more comfortable, smoother, less like jarring when you know you have to climb a rock or something like that. Mainly because of something like that uphill descent, uh, uphill ascent control or whatever the opposite uh, crawl mode you're talking about. Um, I'm just impressed. Like, I, I really don't know how else to say it. It It is so good. Well, I, I hate to uh, ruin the love fest we've got going on on this week's episode, but I was not at all impressed by the vehicle that I drove. Well, why is that? What did you drive? It's, it's something that I don't remember how long ago it is on the show, but we have talked about it in somewhat mm-hmm. recently, and that's the Lexus NX Hybrid. So okay. I'm, you, I'm, had the, I'm, you had the hybrid or the, the, the gas model? The hybrid. So I'm oh, yeah, not. There's gonna... two different hybrids, though. Yeah, there's two different hybrids. There's the 450H, which is the plug-in, and there's the 350H, okay. which is just the basic, uh, the basic plug-in. So we talked about this actually in February. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I will say this is maybe one of the most aggressively average vehicles I've driven in a long time, and that makes it very, very hard to discuss because there's nothing great about it, and there's nothing terrible about it. It's just kind of a placeholder vehicle and that's disappointing to me because 2022 it's a redesign for the nx so the nx is actually the second best selling lexus 
it it does fifty thousand units a year, which is half what the RX does, and those two together plus the GX is is a little bit behind that, which is amazing to me because that wow. is a horrible vehicle. Um, but anyway, I don't know about horrible. It's it, just dated. It, oh yeah, it is super. If we, if you think the Forerunner is dated, <laughs> yeah. Imagine if the Forerunner cost twice as much money. <laughs> but um, in any case. The, the, the NX, it, they redesigned it, and they really had a chance here to kind of go after the leaders in the segment. And again, it's a, it's a bit of a weird vehicle because it's, it's in between, like, a compact and a subcompact. So it's not quite as big as an X3, but it's mm-hmm. sort of as big as a GLC for Mercedes, but it's bigger than, it, than it, um, what is the, the Cadillac version? The 4. I can't remember what it's called. XT4. Now. XT4, yeah. So it's larger than that. It's just, and, and it's a little bit bigger than an Acura RDX. So anyway, it, it, it doesn't sell as well as the Audi Q5 or the GLC class, but it comes close to that. And I think Lexus had a chance to kind of scoop scoop some of those customers. If they come out with something that was really intriguing and they're like, okay, you know, it looks pretty good. The interior is dramatically improved this year, but everything else about the vehicle is just so stunningly average. Yeah. I'm I'm a little I'm actually well disappointed in you're right the potential to make something better and Lexus has that potential I I, I know we we rag on them for being a little bland sometimes but we know that on the highest end of their of their portfolio with the LC and the LS um, well they LC can deliver, for sure LS they can deliver really so cool cars <laughs> yeah but they, they but they don't need to to sell them you know they they've come come to that conclusion and I, and I think the NX I think a lot of people are going to buy it who already have an NX. I think that's yeah. perfect. But they're just not going to get that conquest from other brands. So the hybrid – the, the other thing to know about the NX is it's essentially the luxury version of the RAV4 in a lot of ways. The, the This is this is true of the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid. The base models, I believe they, – they, I mean there's a turbocharged version of the NX, right? And you can't get that in the RAV4. Yeah. So the gas-only models are more performance than the Toyota. But the the hybrid I drove is straight up basically the same as the RAV4, and the plug-in is the same as the Prime. Now, the Prime is a super successful vehicle. It's backed up like six months to a year if you want to order one because of the chip shortage and all that. Now imagine what that's going to be like with the with the Lexus version. Well, it's not nearly as as desirable. People are not flocking to it in the same way. The volume is much lower. And the hybrid, um, it doesn't really feel as compelling. Uh, it's no. it's got what 203 horsepower I think sorry 239 mm-hmm. it's you know it's two two uh, electric motors one gas motor it's all wheel drive it's perfectly adequate acceleration adequate fuel mileage pretty decent I think it's around oof, 39 miles per gallon combined that's 10 miles per gallon more than a gas powered base model NX so you're getting definitely mm-hmm. some benefits there but driving it it's not exciting it's not exciting at all there's nothing about the vehicle that stands out on the road. It's relatively quiet. The seating position is a little weird. You're like kind of pushed forward in the cabin. I thought that was strange. But other yeah. than that, it's, it's just t- totally average. Um, There's something so strange about this vehicle because I think the old outgoing model had complaints, a number of complaints. I think people thought it looked dated inside and out and it had this really clumsy infotainment system. So those right? two things have been fixed, right? We have so a- that's and that, it feels that's exactly what they did. They're like, what's the problem? We did everything you told us to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, it, it is very much like that. It's like the interior is nice. It's actually, I would say, nicer than maybe Audi, maybe Mercedes in that segment. Mm-hmm. It's 
And the materials are it's nice. stylish. Yeah, it looks good. The infotainment system, it's a touchscreen now. You don't have that absolutely horrible industry worst touchpad that is in every other Lexus. So the <laughs> NX gets this first. We talked about that on a previous show. Um, it, it works well. I had some Bluetooth issues with it, but... I mean, I've been having a lot of Bluetooth issues lately. I'm wondering if maybe it's my phone. I've been trying to figure that out. But on the whole, no complaints there. The rear seat has decent room. There's okay cargo space. It's just I was never compelled to drive it. I I actually looked out the window a couple of times at this vehicle and was like, ugh, I have to drive this today. And that's not a good feeling to have. It's not because it's bad. It's just because I knew it would be so boring. Like, not every vehicle needs to have a sense of occasion when you turn on, when you take it out on the road. But I think a luxury vehicle should make you feel okay. Like, it should be like, if I have to go somewhere, I'm more than happy to take this vehicle. Yeah, and and the problem is, in the smallish crossover segment, there are so many choices. So if you have a vehicle that doesn't really separate itself from the pack, and there are vehicles that do, like the X3 is thoroughly excellent. You know, yeah. and the the GL the GLC has its adherence. A lot of people like the Q5. The GV70 is is really great. Yep. Um, even the Cadillac for the price, you know, there's there's people who mm, like don't it. do that. Don't do that. No. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> I don't necessarily see the NX as being any better than that Cadillac or any better than the Acura RDX. It's like flip. Yeah, no, the actually the RDX actually has a, a pretty fun powertrain, and you get that sense of occasion. But you, you also have like what is it? Does that have the two screen infotainment? Yeah, system? and you yeah. have like four billion buttons on the yeah. center so it's like yeah that kind of <laughs> and that weird giant knob yeah that does balance things out a little bit but it's like it's like flip a coin you know and yeah. if you're if you're lexus that's not a great place to be it's not like flip a coin and maybe i'll buy a lexus so this is definitely going to sell if you already have an, an nx you'll like this if you have another lexus you'll probably like it too but if they wanted to get more market share and i get the feeling that Lexus would like more market share because the QX is stunning. Sorry, the um, RX. Oh, man, there's too many ridiculous alphanumeric right, names. Yeah. The, the QX is... I did it again. <laughs> the Lexus RX yeah. is an incredibly popular vehicle. The NX has never quite got there. Uh, I feel like these these are the most norm core luxury vehicles on the market. Right. And that's kind of been Lexus's thing, and maybe they've just found the ceiling for Normcore. I don't know. I think we also need to drive the 450 plug-in hybrid. Oh, sure. Maybe that's way better. I'm just saying. But, like, it's also a lot more expensive. This is 42000 and I think the, I think the 450H is another ten. I want to say. That's pricey. Let me double-check. Is that more pricey than, like, I mean, you're not up to, like, SQ5 territory at that point, of course, but... No, so the the, the handling, the, the pricing for the NX is weird. Base, it's like thirty nine, mm-hmm. and then if you want the that's reasonable, right? Yeah, like it I is. can. But if you want the hybrid, it's only forty two, and it's all wheel drive. The base is not all wheel drive, so there's a very small price delta between the hybrid and the regular one. But they're going for value now. There's an F Sport. There's an F Sport version that has oh, like. Don't do this to me. Don't I guess it that. has the twin turbo engine or the turbo engine, whatever. It's forty seven. So you're paying the, a- Le- Lexus's F Sport and their other brand, their other trim levels that try to make them sound way cooler than they are. I don't. I don't. I don't dig it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They just need to call that the big wheels package or something yeah. like that. It gets even weirder. So the base – remember I said the base NX is 39 and mm-hmm. then the hybrid is 42? Mm-hmm. So there, that's the NX250, which is the four-cylinder. If you get the NX350 all-wheel drive, it's – Which is a hybrid, right? Which is also 42,000. It has a 275-horsepower turbo version of the four-cylinder engine. 
And it's it's the same price as the hybrid. So Lexus is basically asking you, I don't know why they have the base model. It doesn't make it, it, it price wise. It doesn't make sense. They're going would, for value now. This no, is but, not the usual Lexus strategy. But what I'm saying is, I don't think anyone's going to buy it. I think everyone is going to pay a minuscule, like less than 10 percent more for an all wheel drive Turbo Four or yeah. the the slightly less expensive um, hybrid. Like these two models are yeah. priced identically. Yeah. And then if you want to jump up, the price gap is much bigger than I thought. The base plug-in is fifty six thousand. So that's another 13 or 14 grand. So that's a weird pricing world to be in. But if you're looking at, you know, versus an X3, then the hybrid is very reasonably priced. Yeah. And you get the benefit of, of improved fuel economy. Because I think um, as good as the X3, the six-cylinder X3 is, it can be sometimes kind of uh, fuel hungry. Oh, for sure. They're different vehicles entirely. Um, cool. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, it is, it is a difficult vehicle to, to approach because everything in this, there are so many top tier vehicles in this class. As you mentioned, GV70 to me, X3 are among the two best in this class. And there's a, a strong popularity with the, um, Audi offerings, the Mercedes offerings, and even, I think the Acura RDX can sometimes hang with people if they can get over the, uh, the interior usability of it. Um, so where where does that leave Lexus in the lower tier of things against like Lincoln and you know Infinity? I don't know. I think Lexus is kind of living in its own walled garden. Yeah, and it's it's happy, and they do... want to just maintain their own customers. Yeah, it's happy to do business there, and I mean that's what they're going to keep doing with this particular vehicle. But there is there is one other thing I want to talk about today. It's not related to Lexus. It's not related to Land Rover. It is a listener question. Alex wrote in to ask us. About some vehicles that Honda kind of announced this week. Honda did this big deal thing where they're like, oh, we're going to have 30 electric vehicles by 2030. A lot of car companies are doing this. And they had videos and photos to go with this. And Do they, they mean 30 models or just 30 vehicles? That's it. You're going to be one of the 30. Like, I can honestly, buy one of those 30. Who knows? Um, but, <laughs> but, but two of the vehicles that they talked about or, or at least showed photos of were sports cars. They are – one looks mid-engine, one looks front-engine. And Alex was asking – is it possible that the S2000 is making a comeback as an electric car and is the other one going to be an electric NSX based mm-hmm. on their silhouettes? Um, okay. And Let's if- take a look at these guys. Let's take, take, take a look at these, these cars here. They're draped in fabric. Yep. In the, yeah. in the teaser photo we have. Yeah. So the podcasting <laughs> is not a visual medium. So yes. we're just going to say that. He also asked if Honda will fail to keep the same image as it did with the Integra. Now, we've talked about how disappointing the Integra is in the sense that it was just a badge and a name that they put on a vehicle that really doesn't capture the spirit of what the old Integra was in in any important way. Um, Looking at these two vehicles, I don't think – I could see how there could be an NSX replacement there because one definitely has mid-engine proportions – but the other, but vehicle, it doesn't need it, like because of their electric vehicles, they won't be mid. It, mid-engine means nothing. No, point, right? but it it does allow you to kind of you know stylistically tie into your heritage if that's what yes. you wanted to do. But the other vehicle does not. I would say it does not look like an S two thousand because it it's larger, which might be a function of the battery pack that that they're using. Um, so Honda has an agreement with General Motors to use the LTM or the to that General Motors has developed or to base something called e-architecture on the Ultium that they're co-developing with GM. Mm-hmm. Based on that information, this really looks like a larger coupe, especially the roofline. It does not suggest convertible or roadster to me. Yeah. I don't think that they would 
I could see an electric S2000 at some point in the future or a vehicle that fills that role. However, Roadsters, almost nobody buys them. I yeah, and if they do, they're buying a Miata. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that Honda would lead with that. I think that that would be kind of something they would hold in reserve later on. Uh, just because if they're trying to jumpstart their electric vehicle lineup, they probably want to go with something that makes volume happen. And again, that's kind of why it's surprising to see these two vehicles at all, because we all know volume is SUVs these days. So, Alex, right. that would be my opinion. Sammy, what do you think? Well, my take is I'm looking at two vehicles. I'm looking at a, a supercar um that has NSX heritage, probably. Uh, that makes sense. I think that's going to be a Halo product for their electric vehicle portfolio. Um, and then they're going to have something that slots below that that looks more like a grand touring sort of styled vehicle, um, which will probably have um, a generous trunk, something that you can take, unlike a, unlike a supercar, something that you can take for a longer drive. It looks very much like that Maserati, um, what's the name of their, their two-door? Um, oh, it's been too long. But I, I was thinking, you know, if if you if how did you, I blow that? I, I just made a whole conversation about a car. I, MC12 I or about. whatever is that we talking? No, about? no, that's the supercar. Gran Turismo. What is wrong with me? I'm such a doofus. <laughs> yeah, Gran Turismo. That's what it's called, isn't it? It could be. I I haven't seen one of those in forever. This is exactly what this looks like. Every time I see a Maserati these days, okay. <laughs> I was watching uh, – I was at my, my parents' place a couple of weeks ago and I was watching one of the like, – I think it was a Mecham auction. And they had a, a Quattroporte like go across the auction block and it was bid up to $12,000 and that was the selling <laughs> price. Wow, what a deal. It was like a 2012 too or like a 2014. And, I, and my first thought was they paid too much. <laughs> but um, oh, anyway, I, I do think that if they were going to resurrect an older name, Alex, Prelude might be something you would see before S2000 because – it's it's got enough cachet that people know what it is, but they're not. It's not recent enough that if they totally mess it up like they did with the Integra, they would get the same kind of backlash. So it might be a little bit safer for them to do that. Right. Um, I, I I agree. I think they. I don't know. I don't know why we have to keep using uh, old names all the time. No, I don't know either. But it's what's happening. So but this is what we do <laughs> all the time. We, we've run out. We've run out of letter number uh, combinations. That's well. Why. We complained that the letter the alphanumeric. Um, vehicle names made no sense. And now they're like, oh, you want names again? Let's go to the names we've already had. And you're like, I forgot about those two. Someone needs to buy a dictionary. Yeah. Email it to every OEM and we'll get some interesting names. We'll just put like uh, little post-it notes on like intriguing words, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. The Honda sibilance. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So now that we've finished answering our listener question, we should tell people where uh, and how they can get in touch with us if they have their own questions for us. It's very easy. You just go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out, and it lands in our inbox. That's what Alex did. It worked beautifully for him or her. And uh, that's one of the, the ideal ways of getting in touch with us. But there are other ways. We're very we're accessible like that. Um, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on instagram he's at hunting benjamin you can find me on twitter i'm at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing and um, uh if you wanted yeah. to uh go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and listen to old episodes they are all there we also typically have links to recent stories we've written or stories that support the stuff that we're talking about on the show and you can also subscribe to us using a whole bunch of buttons we have on the site for various podcatchers or just search for 
Unabound with a podcast in your favorite podcast service. We're on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher. Everything is there. If you can leave us a rating or a comment, I mean, positive or negative, it all helps. Uh, it's also fun for us to read. Sometimes it hurts our feelings, but that's okay. We're, we're growing thicker skin. We are growing. And it, you know what? I want to let you know it's free to subscribe. But if you want to support us um, and all of our 300-ish episodes, you can leave us a little tip on Ko-Fi. It's ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast it helps us keep the lights on because we don't like podcasting at night or in the dark it's difficult it helps um, it also helps support sammy's debilitating faberge egg habit yes and you, we, we i can't believe you brought that up that's a deep cut from a long it's episode called long an intervention ago. sammy um what are we talking about next week man oh next week i am going to be talking about the audi s3 sammy very cool. And I've got myself in the Grand Cherokee, the Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, 4xE. Okay. So yeah, uh, thank you for listening and bye, everybody. Bye.